0: Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. Do you remember T SNE from like a year ago?
1: Oh, yeah. T Stochastic Neighbors Embedding. Uh, who could forget? <laughs> T Distributed well, Stochastic Neighbor Embedding.
0: Excuse T- uh, whoa. Okay. So this is going to be a callback episode. No lie, blur, but we'll diverge <sighs> and see. That doesn't make any sense until you hear what we're talking about. You are listening to. Linear digressions. So, that was, what, you call told back, me.
1: No libler.
0: blur, lie blur but will we'll diverge.
1: Diverge. Right. From
0: the, yeah, from the pre. Okay, so we're talking about what it, what it's called callback libler divergency.
1: Callback libler divergence, yeah, or KL divergence.
0: You told me that, and then I had to make up a pun. So, this is, this is me apologizing immediately after saying. That monstrosity. Callback, Leibler yeah, divergence. That, that,
1: was, that wasn't that bad. Yeah, KL divergence. Uh,
0: to oh, to, K-L. to its K-L. friends.
1: Yeah, KL.
0: Like callback spelled with a K. Yes. Whoa.
1: Because it's named after
0: uh, a person, I assume. Oh. Callback. Got it. Not like call back, but yeah. callback.
1: Yeah. Got That's it. That's right. And so this is. <laughs> This is a it comes to us originally from information theory, actually, um, and it's a way uh, originally within information theory of thinking about compression so can i can yes. I ask
0: you real fast what is what does information theory actually mean?
1: Oh, that's an interesting question.'
0: Because um, I hear that term all the time, and i i never I just kind of nod my head and'm like, mm-hmm, yeah yeah, sure.
1: Yeah. Can I backburner that for a little bit and give an explanation of like what information is with reference to uh, some data, and then we'll try to say like what yeah, information totally. studies? Okay.
0: Well, we'll start with the first word. Sure. <laughs> okay, go okay. ahead. Okay.
1: So when you're studying information theory, one of the most important quantities that you will be working with is this, is this um, thing called entropy and this is a little bit confusing for me as a physicist for a long time because there's also a thing in physics called entropy and they're sort of related but they're not the same thing, strictly speaking. So if you're a physicist and you're scratching your head a little bit, the analogy here is there's an analogy but it's not a
0: perfect um, verisimilitude. And this is ver- verisimilitude? Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> there, that, that word entropy gets used a lot all the time and I, I never feel like it Quite. Like I never feel like all of the different ways that humans use that word connects with the actual original definition of it. So yeah. So let's try
1: to let me give you kind of my the way that I feel about it (laughs) as as a physicist slash you know uh, I guess statistician of sorts these days. So the way that I think about it is entropy is kind of the disorder in a system. That's the the shortest way that I can say it and another way of saying that in a high entropy situation it's a situation where if you were to take that situation and like put it in a box kind of conceptually and shake the box a lot and then put it back down and open the lid would the situation look that different from what it is right now so Mm. an example of a high entropy situation is my closet at the end of the week when i haven't had a chance to do laundry yet and there's just stuff everywhere right
0: mm-hmm.
1: where if you were to take my closet you put it inside a box you shake the box everything's gonna move around but it's not really gonna look <laughs> that different because it <laughs> was already pretty disordered right <laughs> that's um, kind and of then a, sad uh,
0: well you know i mean it's mine too it's my closet too actually um, my stuff stays and- out of like is just on the floor so
1: I was going to say, as an aside, my closet is one of the better, it has one of the better sound environments in my house for recording.
0: Oh, do you record in your closet? Yeah, I'm sitting in my closet. Are you in your...
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because it's nice and quiet and and the clothes everywhere on the floor muffle the sound. Anyway, so that's an example of a high entropy situation. And then a low entropy situation might be like when it's very clean and everything is kind of orderly and all the, there's boxes and they're all nicely stacked and everything is on, the, is on the clothes hangers. And so in that situation, if you take my, my closet and you shake it a lot, then it's gonna look pretty different. There is a mathematical definition of entropy. And that definition is, I'm gonna read it here and it's not gonna make a whole lot of sense, but I'll try to explain it. Um, you sum over all the states of a system the probability of the system being in a given state times the log of the probability of it being in that state. And then the higher that number is, once you sum over all the states, the higher entropy the, state, the system is. So let me talk about this now that I've read that formula in the context of information theory, and, and it might start to make a little bit more sense. The entropy is, we said, the sum over all of the states the probability of the system being in a certain state times the log of the probability of that state. Um, Let's imagine that you're thinking about two different distributions and let's say the distributions concretely are, it's the income, it's an income distribution. And one of them is the income of let's say Sweden, right? So it's a, it's a country that has like, fairly even distribution of income across the country. Some people are wealthy or some people are not as wealthy, but Sweden is not known for having huge amounts of inequality, right? So that's one distribution we could think about. And then the other one is, let's say, it's the income distribution of Brazil. So Brazil, you have a lot of people who are pretty poor, and then you have a few people who are very, very wealthy, and there's kind of a very broad range of incomes that you can have and a lot of inequality across how many people are in each of the different income buckets. Does that make sense? hmm And so let's say that in Sweden and Brazil, everyone makes, in both countries, between $50,000 and $100,000. But in Sweden, you have 20% of the population means makes between 50 and 60, 20% makes between 60 and 70, another 20% between 70 and 80. So it's it's a flat distribution between 50 and 100, concretely. And in Brazil, again, same min, same max, but you have 90% of the population making 50. You have, uh, let's see, you have 10% left. So let's say like uh, 5% of it makes between 60 and 70. You have 3% of it that makes between 70 and 80, right? So it's like falling off very steeply and you have... It's not equally spread. Mm-hmm. In this situation, we would say that Sweden is high entropy and that Brazil is low entropy because Sweden things are kind of. If you were to take all the people in Sweden and like shake around the income distribution and allow all the marbles to kind of like settle out, then you'd still end up with something that's like kind of flat. People might move around from bucket to bucket, but the buckets would still stay, you know, f- fairly mm. flat. Whereas in Brazil, it has this very particular arrangement where you have a lot of people over here and just a few people over here, if you were to take it and shake it, then it would end up where something is, you would expect people to kind of reallocate so it's spread more evenly. And another way to think about this, if you're somebody who has a computer science background, you'll probably appreciate this, is imagine that you have to write a search algorithm to find somebody in one of these two distributions based on something like, one of those recursive, like, quick sort things, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say in the country of Sweden, you have a little kind of binary decision tree. So you start it, you want to, you know, as, as quickly as possible find somebody based on their income. So you say, okay, do they make more than 75K or less than 75K? And it's a 50-50 chance that they're going to be on either side of that. So... That's one bit that you have to have to say, like, do they make more or do they make ma- mm-hmm. make less to describe where someone is. So let's say and then you
0: can keep subdividing and subdividing each of those uh, groups.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So they'll say, like, it makes more than that. You say, like, OK, so they make more than 75, but less than 100. Do they make more than? And then you pick the midway point between 75 and 100, which is like 87 and a half thousand and that's another bit that you have to have to represent their income. And if you wanted to go all the way down to like the individual dollar level, then there's a certain number of bits that you have to do mm-hmm. that's gonna subdivide that tree in half each time.
0: Or a- another way to say it is it's a uh, uh, number of choices that you would have to make. Right? Right. So, So the number of bits, it's the number of choices that you're making or the number of decisions that you're making. So if you were to do a linear search, you start all the way at the beginning and you keep going and going one by one by one all the way up until you find the person, that would be uh, on average half of the number of people of of, um, decisions you would have to make. Is this the person or or is it not? Or do I throw this person out or is this the person I'm looking for? Whereas in a binary search kind of algorithm, uh, like what you're talking about, where you keep subdividing in half, um, you get log of n ooh, log. is So is that where the log in that equation comes from?
1: Ooh, uh, maybe. I hadn't thought about it in exactly those terms before. I'll, I'll bet it does. It might be. But let's take the case of Brazil now. <laughs> so you're trying to find right. somebody in Brazil. In this case, your decision tree isn't balanced like it is in Sweden, where you have to consider both sides with equal weight, so to speak. Like there's equal probability at every time you ask a question of the answer being yes or no. Um, in Brazil, you know, with pretty high probability that because everybody is like on the lower end of the income spectrum that you can just guess that they're like in the bottom most bucket and you're probably right and so um with brazil you don't need on average as many pieces of information to find someone because you already know sort of like where everybody is they're all just in that like leftmost bucket hanging out there together and you're not always going to be right if you make that If you make that assumption, obviously, so we're not saying that it's like zero, it would be zero entropy if like everyone is in the exact same state.
0: So just to clarify, you're not talking about how many decisions you have to make or how many um, evaluations you have to make to find a particular person. You're instead talking about how many uh, decisions or, or subdivisions you need to make to get to their income bucket of a certain granularity.
1: Yeah. And what I'm even really talking about is how much information on average do you have, like over the entire population, would you need to represent how much income they have? So in other words, in the Brazil case, you would say that 90% of the time you really only need, you can just guess like the lowest income bucket and that's going to work. And that another 10% of the time you would need more information to like figure out that you were in one of those higher buckets and then which of the higher buckets you were in. But because that's only 10% of the time that's received sort of proportionally less weight in that entropy formula than the 90% that's really easy to find. Whereas in Sweden, because you have equal probability of ending up in any of the buckets, you weight the possibility of all of them equally. So you don't get any advantage from having some of them that are like effectively lighter. They don't have as many people in them. Um, that doesn't happen in Sweden, and so there aren't really any buckets that you can ignore the way that you can, like to first order, ignore a bunch of buckets in Brazil.
0: Mm.
1: And so that's why we say that um, so Brazil is going to be lower entropy, Sweden is going to be higher entropy. And that transfers to sort of the amount of information that we have in that, in that distribution or how much information it would, how many bits you would need to encode that information. And so the, the connection that we have here is if you have a high entropy distribution, then you need more bits in order to encode that information, which means that it has, we say the distribution has more information. So information is kind of a technical term when I say it here and that corresponds to stuff being more evenly spread out in general although that's like a little bit less germane so anyway information theory to answer the question that you asked off the bat is studying the idea that there's this thing called information uh which is as we said kind of represented by how much how many bits would you need to like represent something that comes from this distribution or how many bits are would you need to represent a single individual example and then studying the properties of, of those kinds of situations. So in other words, information theory is particularly interesting if you're trying to find out uh, the optimal way to encode some pieces of information, trying to figure out the optimal way to compress something. So compression, the name of the game is you want to reduce the number of bits that you that it takes for you to store something or to transmit something. But you don't want to lose information, or you want to minimize the amount of information that you lose. So depending on what the distribution is, let's, let's say in the case of, of a statistical distribution, depending on what that distribution is like, there might be many different ways that you can encode it, and some of them will be extremely high loss, but some of them might also be pretty low loss, and you're not going to lose that much fidelity, when you compress it. And so the name of the game in information theory or in compression is trying to figure out for any given stream of bits or for any given distribution, is there a way that we can find a simpler representation but that minimizes the amount of information that we lose when we Mm -hmm. do that compression. Does that sort of make sense?
0: Yeah. So we're talking not about necessarily compressing really well and and doing a good job with that, but more measuring the success, I guess, of our compression.
1: Yeah, it's just basically like, what does it mean to compress something really well? And Mm -hmm. the answer is that you can't tell the difference. So, in other words, I can imagine something that, like, a really... (laughs) Let's imagine that I, I took out my phone right now and I set it to its highest resolution setting. So lots and lots of bits of information I'm gonna record here. And I, take, I turn all the lights in my closet and I like take a picture of the inside of my shoe or something, right? Like there's, it's not an interesting picture and it's not like there's a lot of variation in the shade of all of these different pixels such that if I were to take that picture and just represent it, you know, all the m- millions of pixels instead of having slightly different colors for all of them, because there's like one photon that hits some random, you know, CCD cell or something. If I were to just instead compress it and say, it's all black, then mm. I'd be pretty close. Right. Right. But if I take a picture of my beautiful dog, then there's all kinds of stuff that's going on in the picture. And if I were to say, it's all black, then that wouldn't be a very good compression. It would be you know just as much information as in the last as or just as much um, compression as in the last one because we took all of these many, many small measurements and just represented them as one single measurement, but in the other case, there's a bunch of information that got lost. there was a bunch of variation in the picture that isn't there anymore because of the compression that I decided to use
0: mm-hmm.
1: So a reasonable person might be asking at this point, well, what on earth does any of this have to do with statistics?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And so the connection here, there's there's a lot of KL divergence that is used in modern algorithms. So the most obvious one uh, that this brings to mind for me is it's used in t-SNE. And we'll come back to why in a moment. But let me describe what KL divergence is. But I assure you that there's a, there's a machine learning connection here. So KL divergence is tackling that question of, we have the picture of the inside of my shoe and we have the picture that is all black. So we have two different distributions basically, or two different sets of data. And there's gonna be a change in the amount of information between the two of them. And let's try to quantify that change in information or how did the entropy change between the two of them. And so kullback leibler divergence is just saying that instead of saying the entropy is the probability times the log of the probability summed over all the states, callback um, Kullback-Leibler divergence is the probability divided by the log of the probability of the one distribution divided by the probability of the other distribution. And so this is this is something that's like worth looking up if you ever want to actually use it just to make sure that you get the equation right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but the heuristic- getting, getting
0: an equation from a podcast <laughs> yeah. and then using it—that's probably not the right way. Not a good to time to do it. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but the sort of a heuristic way of thinking about it is: how many bits of information do we expect to lose by taking distribution A or picture A? And instead, representing it with picture B, how many, how much information do we lose in that compression process? And ideally, you want to minimize the amount of information that you're losing while still keeping that second, that second, uh, that second picture, that second distribution, still keeping it like reasonably simple, and making it a good compression in the sense that it's smaller. So, Kolbeck-Leibler divergence, in other words, is a way of saying how how good was my compression? What do we mean when we say I had a good compression? Well, what this means in a very technical sense is I didn't lose a lot of information. And so the thing that that's interesting for is that in the case of T-SNE, for example, what you're trying to do in t is it's a, a dimensionality reduction technique for the purposes of visualizing very high dimensional data. So you start with a situation in which you have data or a distribution. It's if it were two dimensions, you could represent it as a picture, maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, if you had it in two dimensions, that would make a lot of sense because it's already visualizable. Let's say it's a thousand dimensions and you want to represent it in two dimensions. So you have your thousand dimensional distribution. That's sort of picture a picture B is your two dimensional data set. And you want picture B, the two dimensional mm. one to have a, a small of a callback Leibler KL divergence with the first one is possible because what that's saying is that that two-dimensional one is not as, as much as possible. It's minimizing the information loss as you go through that dimensionality reduction transformation.
0: Right. So just, just as you take your picture of your shoe in your closet um, and compare that with just a solid black image and try to figure out the difference. And just as you might take the picture of your dog and, some compressed version of the picture of your dog. Uh, now you're actually comparing your 100-dimensional thing with your two-dimensional visualization of it mm-hmm. or representation of it. That makes a lot of sense.
1: Yep. Yep. And so KL divergence tells you sort of how much how much of a price you've paid for that compression. And, and so what you want to do is you want to minimize the KL divergence, which says basically you have your as sort of high fidelity as as you can be given what it is you're trying to do. Um, And then there's other applications of KL divergence as well, sometimes in the case of specific algorithms even. So if you think about it, what a model is very often trying to do is you have many, many training examples that you're trying to learn from. And in general, when you're training a machine learning model, you're trying to find patterns in the data, you're trying to find mathematical rules or statistical rules within the data that are simpler than the data itself right is it's something like an equation instead of a thousand individual points but that that equation is supposed to represent an underlying pattern that's present in the data so that you can just learn the pattern then you learn the pattern to like figure out what's going to happen in future cases so in some ways there's a compression, if you think about it, going ins- on inside of machine learning algorithms because they're trying to find this simpler representation of this very complex thing called your training data set. And so sometimes uh, in the inside guts of these algorithms, like in certain types of neural nets and things like this, what you're sometimes doing is trying to tune the model's representation of the data to minimize its KL divergence with the data itself. And then, when you're minimizing that represent, or when you're minimizing that divergence, the KL divergence is where you're saying, my algorithm, or my model, as much as possible, is not losing information relative to if I were just sitting here and using the data as a lookup table, so to speak.
0: Hmm. Got it. So, so basically, KL divergence is your um, insight into how well your model is doing. Uh, or your evaluation mechanism for how how well your model is doing. And, of course, if you don't have a way of evaluating how well your model is doing, there's no way to optimize your model.
1: Yeah, it can be. So, you know, a lot of models are still... The big thing they're trying to optimize for is maybe, like, root mean squared error or accuracy mm. or, you know, these things that are a little bit more familiar. But sometimes on the inside, when they're dealing with more complex kind of midway points, it, trying to get toward something that's as accurate as possible overall you have to make a lot of small decisions about how to represent things on the inside of the model and very often KL divergence can be something that you can use there for those for those small steps because what it's basically saying is yeah things are getting simpler on the inside here but they're as much as possible not getting simpler in a way that like makes it overly simplified
0: so Although I kind of get the big point of it, I do feel a little bit like I'm picking my brain up off the floor. (laughs) We uh, went into a lot of stuff.
1: Yeah, I feel that way too. If this is your jam, if you're pretty excited about thinking about compressions and codes and all this kind of stuff, there's a really excellent book that machine learning people, I think in general, will get a lot from by David Mackay. M-A-C-K... A-Y called I think Information Theory Inference and Learning Algorithms or something like this and uh, it's very very good so if you're excited about information theory that is definitely the place to start it's super readable and extremely fun and he talks about this and at some point there's like an optimization chapter where he talks about why it's from an information theory point of view it's ideal to have Um, reproduction between two parents instead of one or three and just all kinds of like weird stuff like that it's you know how how uh how different kinds of compression algorithms and stuff like that work of course it's super cool anyway it's a really good book so if you like this david mckay's book
0: is the place to go cool linear digressions is a creative commons endeavor Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time.